A lot of students come to me saying they don't want to take a gap year because they're scared they're going to forget everything they learned, especially those in the STEM fields. So I decided to get to the heart of this and talk to a first year math professor. So on this podcast, he will talk about what he notices in his first year students and what it means to take a break and what that does for your first year studies. Really interesting interview. Take a listen. sharing their stories, ideas, and experts diving deep into how you can make the right decisions in order to have a meaningful gap year. This is the place to be no matter where you are on your gap year journey. I'm Michelle Dittmer, your resident gap year expert. Let's jump right in. And welcome to the Gap Year Podcast. My name is Michelle Dittmer, and I am your host and Gap Year expert. Today on the podcast, I have Andrew Skelton with me, and he is an incredible uh, professor of mathematics at York University. He has incredible experience that he's bringing with him, teaching at all different levels, and has really spent a lot of his time focusing on supporting students in successful transitions. And so he's a perfect guest to have on the podcast today because gap years are really one method of helping people to have successful transitions. So uh, he'll bring the university perspective to this conversation. So Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hope I gave a a little bit of an accurate background, but do you want to jump in and and give us a little bit more context as to uh, why we should trust you? Why, why, Why are you an authority on this conversation today? I'll give a little bit of background uh, of where I went academically. So uh, I, I started off, uh, I did my undergrad degree at McMaster University. Um, I did it in math, and then I went to teacher's college. So uh, I went to the teacher's college at the University of Ottawa, and, and I worked as a high school teacher for a couple of years uh, before I kind of transitioned and pivoted in my career. I went back, did my master's at uh, Brock University, did my PhD at uh, University of Guelph. And for the last three years, I've been working as a faculty member at York University. So I've had, I've been to, you know, been or worked at five different universities in southern Ontario. And for quite a bit of that time, I've, I've worked a lot with first year students uh, in particular. So I teach a lot of first year courses. I teach large first year calculus courses um, for students in programs such as uh, health, biology, chemistry, physics, and engineering. Um, and a lot of my research, a lot of my interest at the university level is in, is, as you said, in the first year experience. Um, in the transition from high school to university. There's actually a lot of people out there uh, researching and, and, and focused on exactly this question. There's a university in the United States, the, the University of South Carolina. They have an entire faculty and department just dedicated to transition research and transition pedagogy. And it's incredible. I've been to some of their conferences uh, for the last couple of years, and it's amazing to see thousands of people at a conference whose only interest is in helping students transition from high school to university. So. Um, while that transition may feel very intimidating, and it does for sure, it can be very scary and very daunting experience. Um, I think you can, you know, you, you can feel relaxed that there are people out there who have dedicated their careers and all of their time and a lot of their spare time and a lot of their energies uh, to helping looking into that problem and to looking into that experience. 
Um, so I'm happy to talk to you about uh, about first year university and first year transition and any questions uh, that you or, or your listeners may have. That's amazing. So, so no, a couple of takeaways there. Number one, you're a really smart cookie. Um, thank goodness there are people out there who who like maths and and numbers and things like that, um, and can keep the world aligned mathematically. So, uh, so that's one thing that's very very transparent and very apparent. Um, the other thing that I think that you said that's so important for people to hear is that transitioning is hard moving from one thing to another the, the fact that there are entire uh, people who have careers supporting this this is not something that is terribly uh, i don't want to say natural but it's it's not a simple process uh, we are constantly going through all sorts of transitions in our lives whenever we're moving from elementary school to high school, uh, when we're moving from high school to post-secondary, when we're moving from uh, living with our parents to moving out, um, whatever those changes are, they're really uh, monumental times in our lives and it takes a lot of different skills in order to to navigate those and to be uh, not necessarily comfortable because it's always uncomfortable, but being able to make your way through that. Um, so talking about some of those skills, what are some of the things that you've noticed in teaching these thousands of students that helps them to be successful in that transition and in their first year? What are some of the things that they have in their toolkit that, that they might be able to leverage? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, discomfort, right? You mentioned discomfort with this. And, and this discomfort happens, you know, you were talking about transitions and, and I, I love that you brought up different transitions that, uh, that people experience as well. Because when I go to some of these conferences and talk to some of my colleagues in this field, they, they often talk about other transitions you don't think about. Even transition from first year to second year university or from undergrad to graduate or from, from your undergrad to a professional career. And it's really interesting to see all these transitions. But I, I love that you talk about being uncomfortable. Right. And I think one of the one of the best things you can embrace is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, and I think that's one of the one of the skills that, that the students develop in first year that that may seem underrated. Uh, but a lot of students, they don't feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. They don't feel comfortable with the fact that they may struggle with some some parts. You know, perhaps they've never struggled before. Uh, perhaps they, they haven't really struggled in high school. They haven't really been through that challenge before. And it can be very, very difficult to lean into being uncomfortable. And so I try to say that all the time. You know, I have made mistakes in class. I have made mistakes in front of 1,000, 1,500, uh, 2,000 students. Um, you know, you, you should come down to the board and see how the big boys do it, right? Making a mistake in front of that many people is okay. And, and it's okay to address that. It's okay to be comfortable with that. And, and the, what, what follows next is making a plan to overcome, you know, your particular challenges. We're all unique. Um, right now I'm teaching uh, a class that's got 1,250 students in it and, and every student's unique. Every student faces different challenges. Every student's got different strengths and, and different obstacles to overcome. And, and being comfortable with what your personal challenges and your personal, uh, your personal strengths as well so that you can harness those and you can make a plan to, to overcome them a little bit. I think those are great. And I like that you say that they're, they're underrated because they're not the skills that you put on your resume. 
<laughs> you don't write down, I'm okay being uncomfortable. You don't write down that I am self-aware and I know my strengths. Those aren't things that society tells us we should value. And yet they're some of the, the strongest skills that we can have to navigate change and uncertainty. And definitely with the pandemic, that's we're being taught how important it is to flex those muscles and we're getting lots of practice, um, which I think is, is so important for students to hear that those skills are equally valuable, if not more valuable, even when you don't write them on a resume. Because sometimes we set up a checklist of things that we think we need in life. I need my university education. I need to get a job. I need to have volunteer experience. And um, as somebody who's hired a lot of recent grads, um, I skip over a lot of those pieces of the resume, those check boxes, because sometimes they're just that. And I'm looking for that self-awareness. And I'm looking for um, the, the fact that they've been able to overcome challenges in their life. And I think a gap year is a really great way to um, start to practice some of those skills and to make space for trial and error and doing it in a low risk situation um, and, and learn that self-awareness in a way that the outcome isn't contingent on uh, passing or failing a course, or it isn't contingent on failing in front of your peers. You can do that in, in a very controlled way um, and, and limit the risk while still learning about yourself and still learning to be uncomfortable and to navigate that, which I think is, is such a powerful um, opportunity to give yourself by taking that gap year. Well, I think you actually mentioned something. You mentioned two things interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on one first. Uh, you said that it's, these are things that we don't put on our resume. I'm actually looking at a report right now, which is really interesting. It was a, a list of common employability outcomes that was put together, and, and I've lost track of where I got this resource from. But uh, it was it was drafted from a large number of uh, of sources, such as the World Economic Forum and and the Ministry of Advanced Education and Skills Development and Employment and Social Development Canada. So this was all put together and it's basically a list of common employability outcomes. Um, it's outcomes that employers are looking for when, when you apply for jobs. And I think it's incredibly interesting that you even use some of the language that's on this report. Um, they've broken it down into 26 outcomes and, and six of them are attitudes. So six of them are attitudes, which is things we don't normally think of putting on a resume uh, or talking about when we apply for a job. And, and one of them is literally self-awareness. Uh, one of them actually says self-awareness. It is considered one of the 26 outcomes that uh, employers are looking for. And so uh, the, the description says it includes the ability to acknowledge and reflect on personal strengths, areas for development, values, limits, feelings, motivations, and biases. Um, and, and then another one is persistence, right? Another one is persistence as well. So sustaining interest and effort and motivation uh, to persevere in accomplishing a task or a, task or a goal. Um, so it, th these are actually skills that employers are looking for, and, and this is not necessarily something you're going to develop as part of a curriculum for a course, neither in high school nor in university. Um, it's a hidden curriculum. It's, it's, it's the skills that you need to develop uh, during your university experience. And, and so all of these experiences you mentioned, you know, these, the checkboxes on the resume, all of those things are incredibly valuable. But what is more valuable is identifying what you've learned from those experiences and what you've how you've developed and how you've grown from those experiences. 
Yeah. And I was at a conference actually last week and uh, Mark Beckles, uh, who is the head of RBC's youth initiative. Um, so they've got, they've got lots of resources at their disposal. And he was talking similarly about what employers are saying in 2020. They're saying that, yes, we're moving to a world where the STEM fields are really important, but the employers are, what they're saying is, that's our expertise. That's what we do as a company. We can train you how to code. We can train you what artificial intelligence is all about. We can train you on those hard skills, but we cannot give you those soft skills or those transferable skills. So that's what they're actually screening for when they're interviewing. Um, it's not how well can you code. It's can you problem solve? Do you know what your strengths are? Um, and, and it's a stronger message that we're hearing surge in so many different conversations now when it comes to um, job readiness or workplace readiness or even life readiness like these are this is the school of life um, that goes along with some formal education and uh, there's lots of ways that you can develop these skills um, so if a student maybe didn't doesn't feel that they've really got a strong hold on some of those things do you have any ideas of ways that they can develop those skills, that resiliency, that problem solving, that self-awareness, um, anything that you've seen or you've recommended to students who've come in with a little bit of a deficit in this area? Yeah, um, so that's kind of an interesting two-part question. Um, I, I was chatting with uh, one of my peer leaders. I, as part of my job, I manage a very large team of peer leaders uh, who help do peer support for, for students, uh, for first-year students in a variety of settings, like as mentors, as tutors, as supplemental instruction leaders, which is a whole other one-hour podcast we can talk about. Um, and she was talking about how she was struggling to find a professor where she could do a research experience with. She's, she's a biology major. She wanted to work in a lab um, and she wanted to, to, because she felt like she needed that to round out her experiences. And, uh, and so we, we were chatting on Zoom just yesterday, in fact, and, and we were chatting about, okay, well, what other experiences do you have? Um, you know, what, why do you feel like you need this to round out your experience? She's, oh, you know, my, my friends, have, some of my friends have worked in a lab, and I feel like that's just something you have to have on your resume. And so we started talking about what skills she might develop uh, by being part of that lab, and we started identifying some of these exact skills that we've been talking about. And she started talking about some of the other things she's done that were incredibly interesting and incredibly unique to her. Um, you know, she had, I, I, I won't speak too uh, detailed about her because she was a human being, a real human being. <laughs> so I don't want to, you know, out her, uh, her experiences. But she had done some really unique things in her past. And some of those things were in high school. Some of those things were in the summer before university. Some of them were in undergrad. And she had accomplished all those skills. She was a very well-rounded student, but she didn't know how to sell those experiences. Um, and so she felt like maybe a similar thing to what you see when you see the resume, she felt like it was a checkbox situation and she needed to just fill this other box uh, without really talking about why she needed that. Um, and it turned out, you know, her, her experiences are, are unique to her. She's done some really cool and unique things. And so you don't have to follow a cookie cutter pattern of what other students are doing and what, what other students are doing in preparation for anything. And in fact, anything you can do to do something that's unique, something that's really interesting and unique and something that interests you uh, because you are always going to speak more passionately about something that interests you you're always going to do better in a course that you love than a course you don't love you're always going to be able to be more passionate about an experience that's unique and, and that you feel passionate about as opposed to something you feel like you should be doing 
And so, so anything you can do to kind of customize this experience for yourself and it is not wrong. Um, there's nothing wrong. I think that's one thing I want to make clear. There's nothing, nothing wrong with how you, any way that you're going to create these skills or develop these skills, just that you do, um, just that you find a way to do it. Yeah. And I think that unique piece is so important. Um, my husband, he has a very generic BFA. Uh, he went to teacher's college and uh, he worked a, a good variety of jobs. And in every single interview that he goes to, the interviewer skips past his education, his work experience, his volunteer opportunities, and they go to the section called, he calls other skills. And on there, he mentions that he trekked to uh, base camp of Mount Everest. And every single interview talks about that. And, um, and that sets him apart because it's something unique to him. Uh, and it's something that, that people will remember about him. It's not just that kid or that person who got that general degree that volunteered for their 40 hours of service. There's something unique that's going to help you stick out in your interview and then in their minds as they're, they're recalling all the applicants that they, that they measured. So I think that's super, super valuable. Now I'm curious if, as a, as a first year, as somebody who's taught a lot of first year students, can you tell the difference between somebody who has taken a year off or is not coming directly out of high school versus somebody who, who came directly? Is there, is there anything that you've noticed in patterns um, in their behavior, in their academic performance, or do they just blend in with everyone else? I, I think my, my yes and no. Um, I, I would say no, objectively I can't, right? Objectively I can't tell the difference between someone who's taken a year off from school and who hasn't. Um, because I, I often find there's, there's very little difference in knowledge levels when, uh, when students enter a first year class. Obviously, you know, people, students are different. Some students remember more and some students remember less. Um, but I would say in terms of just like the knowledge background that they're coming into the first year class with, there's very little spread. There's very little variability in what I see. But there's a huge variability in how the students uh, can harness that knowledge and how the students can apply that knowledge and how they can retain it and how they can uh, recall it and use it in unfamiliar settings. Uh, and, and that comes back to skills again. So I, I really do think that there's a massive difference in skills development um, as students head into university. So, uh, you know, as part of my first year class, uh, students have to complete a bunch of activities and modules to, as university preparation. Um, in, in the United States, uh, a lot of universities have what's called a first year seminar. And a first year seminar is a credit course. So the students are getting course credit for it. And it's a course on university life skills, on, on just life skills, university skills, study skills, all sorts of different habits. Um, unfortunately, that, that's not common in Canada. Um, so a lot of the push right now has been to find ways to integrate this into the, into the curriculum in first year and into their orientation and into their, uh, into the formal orientation at the university. And so students have to do, uh, you know, modules where they have to reflect on, for example, their procrastination. Um, we're all procrastinators. Let's not, not, not me. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> not about. <me> either. Uh, <laughs> but we are certainly procrastinators, but what we've learned maybe as, as adults and as people who've been through it is, is we know when to procrastinate on something and when not to, when something is urgent, when something has high consequences, when it doesn't, how to prioritize things. Uh, maybe we haven't learned that, uh, but I think we, you know, we have learned some of those skills. Um, whereas I think a lot of first-year students don't know how to do that. They, they don't know what to prioritize, what not to prioritize, when to procrastinate, when not to procrastinate, or even just how to manage their time. 
Um, so we talk about time management techniques. Um, you know, I, I often find I'm, I'm surprised at how many students don't, their first thing isn't just to make a big calendar of all five of their courses and all the things that are due and just have that up on the wall. Um, that that's something that we have to learn. And I think doing, doing something and working somewhere between high school and university helps you learn some of these skills. Maybe you're working on a project and you have to manage the project and manage your time um, as part of that year. And that's going to set you apart in terms of these raw skills that you need coming in because a lot of students don't have those skills. Um, or even skills on note taking, how to take notes in class. Um, that is some somehow is, uh, uh, that, and that's not through no fault. I mean, this is just this is just life. I mean, we're not we don't expect students to enter first year university with perfect professional skills. We, that's certainly an unreasonable expectation. Uh, but it's something that they have to develop as, as part of their as part of their university experience. So even just taking a note where you write the date that that note was taken so that when you have to look up something later, you, you've got that organization. These are these small skills. And so these are these small skills. How do you pick those up? Uh, whether you do it kind of trial by fire in first year university or whether you've picked that up through an experience beforehand, I think would set you apart. So kind of my, my long-winded answer uh, to, your, to your question, can I objectively tell the difference between a student who's done a gap year? No, I cannot. Um, can I tell the difference between a student who's had experiences developing some of these life and study skills versus a student who has not at, at 100%? Absolutely, I can tell the difference. And I think that's a really important message for parents and for students to hear because a lot of, especially in like the harder sciences, um, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to forget all of my my math skills like I took I took calculus in first semester and that it's going to be like two years since I've taken calculus and I'm I'm just going to forget anything everything so I need to go right now before that that knowledge disappears out of my brain um, which I think is definitely like a legitimate fear but it's also you have to trust yourself that you have the ability to learn and in first year they are going to help you continue on that learning journey. So yes, it will build on stuff, but it's like riding a bicycle. You've been a student for however many years and uh, you, you can learn and you will pick up those things. And if you forget how to integrate that particular function or whatever, I'm, I'm using math terms. I hope I'm using them rightly. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, if you forget that that particular skill, you know how to go back and learn that. And uh, but you, but you also will have all of these other skills that you've been talking about in order to make sure that you are you are successful in your year. So I think that's really great. Um, the other thing that I hear that people are scared of um, is that they're gonna like be a year older than their peers. And that's gonna be weird because your whole life you've been put with somebody based on your birth year. Um, and then all of a sudden you're, you're in a different birth year. And uh, I just wanna reassure people that in first year courses, you ha will have people that are 17, you'll have people that are 18, 19, 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, in those programs. And, and when you sit down beside them, you're all in the same boat and nobody's going to look at you and say, you, you are one year off. You are weird. There's no neon sign that's going to be over top of your head. You're going to fit just right in <laughs> with your peers. <laughs>
Both of those points are excellent. I mean, I would have absolutely no idea how old a student is in their class. I was talking to one of the students in my class before, and we were just, you know, it's a first year class, it's a first year calculus class. She was on the Zoom call, and it turns out she already had a degree. Um, she had a second degree already under her belt. And unless she had said that, um, I don't necessarily would have known that just talking about math content, right? Unless we had gotten into a conversation, I would not have known that. And you're right, there are mature students in the class. But can I tell the difference between a first year student who's 17, 18, and 19? Absolutely not. I have absolutely no ability to, to, to tell the difference there whatsoever. And in fact, many 17 year olds uh, in the class are sometimes more mature uh, than 19 year olds. It's all about your skill development, it's all about who you are. Um, it, I would have no ability to, to tell that whatsoever. I've had first year students working for me as research students that have done a better job than fourth and fifth year students. Um, it all depends on your, your own development. So your first point was uh, interested in me too, because you were talking about taking two years off from math and not knowing the content anymore. Uh, you're not going to know the content after that much time. It's used or lose it, right? It is absolutely used or lose it. Uh, there are lots of formulas that I don't know. Um, there is, for example, we, we often do questions uh, when we're talking about things that rotate, things that are rotational that involve finding the, uh, for colloquially, the, the area of a pizza slice. <laughs> Um, so the, the how much area uh, a slice of pizza takes up in a circle. And I cannot for the life of me remember that formula. I don't, my brain just simply can't retain it. But I know how to come up with it real fast. I know the skills. I know what I'm looking for. I know this problem solving strategy to come up with it. And I can come up with that formula in 10 seconds just with a quick piece of paper or some thought. And, and that's what I tell the students as well. Like the more tools you have at your disposal, you don't have to have all that material memorized. So in terms of, you know, how much content do you remember? How much knowledge do you remember when you enter first year? Everyone is in the same boat. And the answer is not much. The difference is how quickly, uh, how strongly you knew it. You know, was it a memorization thing? If it was a memorization, if you're memorizing the unit circle, I'm using that as a math example for you there, Michelle. Um, if you're memorizing the unit circle, that's gone. That information's gone when you leave the test because you were memorizing it. You didn't really understand it. Um, whereas if you learn the procedure for how it was generated, uh, then that information will come back to you when you need it, you know, that information will come back. So when I'm talking about, you know, uh, knowledge versus skills development, how quickly you can harness that information, how quickly it comes back to you when you need it. That's the difference. That's a difference in a student that thrives, um, versus a student that struggles at, at, at university is, is how quickly, you know, the, and it, and that comes back to all the skills that you have, the, uh, you know, I hate, I hate this phrase, but air quotes, soft skills. Right, the, uh, well, the what did you call transferable skills, right? The, uh, the study skills, the life skills that you have in order to be able to, to get that information back. Because I can guarantee you that information's gone. Um, when I teach a class that I haven't taught in a while, I have to relearn the material sometimes. But what I don't have to relearn is the problem solving strategies, the techniques, the, the theory that's underpinning it, the understanding and the knowledge. I, I may forget some specific details because that's how the human brain works, but I don't forget the, the crux of it all, right? The fundamental nature of it all. So I, I thought that was interesting that you remembered that, that you mentioned that. I don't think there's a big difference in a student who's taken high school two years ago versus a student who's literally just come out of their high school calculus class and are heading straight into my class. I think there's zero difference whatsoever uh, with what knowledge they inherently come into. The big difference is, is how, quick, how quickly they can make those connections and connect some old ideas together when, when they're re-exposed to it. Fascinating.
fascinating. So, so I'm not the only one saying this. This is really reassuring for me <laughs> that I am that I am saying things that are true to people uh, because I know that that is a huge, huge, huge concern for a lot of students. So, thank you for thank you for clarifying um, what you're seeing. Um, now, I know another big fear for students is that they're going to be disadvantaged by applying after a year or asking for a deferral, that the university is going to frown on taking a pause. Um, so I'm curious if you could comment on that. Do, do the universities like give you, give you a strike one before you even start if you've taken a gap year? No. I, I Comprehensively, I can say the answer is no. Uh, there is no, there's no uh, benefit or uh, trying to think of the opposite word of benefit now. Detriment, right? There's no knocks against you uh, if you've taken a year off after school. There is, there's no consideration to that whatsoever. Okay, that is very cut and dry, which I think is really important for people to hear, uh, because I say it all the time, and and I think people doubt me when I say that, um, because it is something different than a lot of your peers, and and different is sometimes bad, and different is sometimes good, and in this case, different is absolutely neutral. <laughs> so um, the universities, they they aren't going to um, penalize you in any way when it comes to that. I can imagine the only place where you might benefit, I, I would say for 99% uh, of you applying for programs uh, where the only deciding factor for admission is grades, um, it definitely doesn't matter. Um, I imagine 1% of you might be applying for more specialty programs somewhere that require a supplemental application or some sort of additional, um, that your admission is based not just on grades, but on some sort of additional criteria as well. Um, in those situations, you would probably benefit uh, from the extra year. You would benefit from the extra experiences and what you could write about. Um, but it certainly would not be a knock against you. I think there would be a mild benefit to, to applying to those programs. Uh, but for the vast majority of the programs, you know, you're, you're applying to do, to do history at a university, you're applying to do biology, uh, you're applying to an engineering program, it, there'll be no, it makes no decision, no, uh, no, no impact. No impact. Fantastic. Okay, so we have covered a ton. We've covered what it takes to be a successful first year student and how you can develop some of those skills through very unique experiences. Um, and we've talked about how your university um, you won't know any different or your professors won't know any different or the admissions team isn't going to look at you any different if you do take that time off. Um, and I think it's really reassuring to know that because it is an unfamiliar world with a new set of rules and sometimes we can apply our own assumptions into this place instead of actually um, doing the research and understanding how it's going to, to impact us moving forward. So this conversation has been incredibly clarifying and I know the listeners will really benefit from all of this incredible insight and your expertise specifically around transitions for, for young people. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Michelle. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Well, there you have it, folks, right from the horse's mouth. Sorry, Andrew, uh, right from the professor's mouth. Uh, all that you need to know about your first year experience and what that transition actually looks like if you choose to push pause for a year. So I um, hope you got a lot out of that conversation. And I can't wait to share next week's uh, episode with you where we're going to actually talk to a Gap Year alum. So make sure you're following us to not miss any of our upcoming episodes 
episodes, which are going to include an episode on demystifying the deferral process. So how do you actually make that happen and how do you increase your chances of getting that deferral accepted? Stay tuned. <laughs> 